<laughs> we have the Laravel upcoming meetup too that I know Eric is going to miss. I know I'm going to miss it too. But Why is that? For different reasons. My mine reasons don't matter. Eric, why are you missing? <laughs> Just the non the non contribution you bring to the podcast really excites me. <laughs> you are listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, episode eighteen, recorded Thursday, July eighth, two thousand sixteen. In this episode of PHP Ugly, we talk about a blog post called "The Autistic Programmer." Do PHP and the Internet of Things have a future together? Types versus or. The joys of time zones and codes has the best way to handle them. Laracon US now offering a live streaming package, Laravel package mail thief, and a peek at Vue.js 2.0 and what to expect. Let's get started. It is late on a Thursday night and you know what that means? Time to get ugly. Time to get ugly. Already done. (laughs) How's everybody doing? Not too bad. My uh, my fourth anniversary with my wife today. Really? Congratulations, and you're spending it with us. What, I am. What is wrong with you? Uh, she prefers it this way. <laughs> Smart woman. <laughs> See, it's we, easier we, for everybody. We prefer you stayed with her. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, no one, no one really gets their way all the time. You never told me your boss uh, got a little bit of a boo boo. Oh, I didn't hear about this. Oh, I yeah. just found out. I just found out yesterday he got his license. Yeah, and he's already he's already had a little bit of an accident. I guess he's got a broken left leg. Oh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm guessing motorcycle accident. Yeah. <laughs> yes, a, a friend of ours got a motorcycle license recently, and he reached out to me because he knows I love riding, and we were talking about getting together and going riding, but. Before I even had that opportunity, I guess he uh, got a little bit of a fender bender. Actually, it, from my understanding, it was you know a fender bender. Somebody rear-ended him, and uh, he dropped his bike and ended up breaking uh, breaking his left leg, Ooh. which sucks. Oh, won't be typing with that leg anytime soon. No, he will not. So, what's everybody been up to this week? There's, I've been trying a, to dig through our topic list here. We've got way too much stuff. Who is adding to our topic there's list? There's no way we're getting through all of this tonight. That's crazy. You've got to be positive. I'm positive we're not going to get through this whole list. Well, okay. <laughs> I know exactly where to start, though, here. This is, this, is an, this is a gimme. This is where I take my headphones off. All right. What's the gimme? Mr. Robot Season 2. Oh, we have a transition for that, actually. But I was going. I was going to transition uh, your other your other article into that, but that's fine. Let's talk about Mr. Oh, Robot geez. season two. Well, because they referenced it. Yeah, they did. They did, and yeah. and you know that article. I I don't quite know how to approach. Um, the the article Eric's talking about is called the autistic programmer, uh, or or at least the dispelling the myths about the autistic wunderkind programmer. But this gave me a lot more questions than it did answers. Um, I ran into this on the, the, the gamer blog, Gama Sutra, which is about the development of video games. And it covered a, a lot of very interesting things about how 
enterprise level software development you know groups uh, approach autistic programmers and basically see them as the the quote unquote holy grail of the programmer but it really contributes more to the sort of mythos of it than it does dispute it um talking about how uh, corporations like Microsoft have specific autism reach out programs so that they can be first in line to get the autistic programmer. Yeah, that uh, was a little unsettling to to read that 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 this is this is a uh, a demographic that gets targeted um it it's it's almost as if they're targeted for their willing to for their willingness to self-abuse. They yeah. they they want to overwork themselves. They want to spend more time than you permit them, uh, and it, it's a very strange sort of take on on disability oriented employment. In the sense that this is a disability that is sought out by companies. This is something that companies see as a boon to their productive process, right. um, and it's it's a it was a very strange walk away from this article. Yeah, I thought it's funny when I was reading it. I mean, clearly, we all know the type of people that they're referencing in this article, and we, we probably all are this type of person on some level. I know there were parts of the article that really rang true to me. Uh, John has been dealing with a lot of it. He he has to deal a lot with my quirks. So one of the big things that ran r- really rang true to me was um, when the uh, the one guy, I, I, get, I think his name was Cody, uh, who was a developer, he was talking about how he starts to get flustered with uh, disagreements. Like, um, he starts to get aggravated that he's not making his point clearly, and and uh, that's why people aren't understanding what he's saying. Like he has a good idea, but he can't express it. And I know that's something I fight with a lot. And I get to the point where I just shut down. I get I get to the point where I'll just flat out say, "Listen, I'm clearly not explaining myself. I don't know how to do it." So no, usually stop, it's stop, 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 stop. <laughs> you normally say that first. <laughs> well, I, uh, one of the quotes, one of the quotes here out of the article is: "Is many struggle working with others, which is a requirement in software development. Uh, the games industry is extremely grueling: sixty to seventy hour work weeks with harsh deadlines. All of these things work to the weaknesses of autism. Most are not able to cope." So the article. It acknowledges that these these issues that come with hiring the wunderkind uh, autistic programmer, but it deals with them in a really inhuman, hands-off way. Like, how do you make these people comfortable? How do you make these people come to you? And I just I found the whole thing very strange. I never saw it from that perspective before now. Uh, and, I, and I think it's something that's not very openly spoken about in software development management, which is how do you get this guy who is worth a billion dollars to you and make sure that he stays with you 
even though it's he's going to be a complete pain in the ass, he's worth a billion dollars. Is that so? That that's how you read that, really? Absolutely. I mean, the one of the headlines here is making workplaces more hospitable. Yeah, and and it and it details it, out. It details out specifically Asperger's because Asperger's is a very high functioning end of the spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the term spectrum is considered looked down upon by a lot of people. Um, but for the sake of the simplicity of this argument, Asperger's is considered the high functional end of the spectrum, but it does have a lot of social issues. And the article explores the benefits and the drawbacks of that and dealing with that as a manager. Yeah, it's it's funny. That specifically got me thinking. It's like, how would a company look if, for example, you you were in a cleaning service that in, you know uh, employed people with uh, <laughs> obsessive compulsive disorder? So you you have like the best cleaning service in the world because you employ people who have this obsessive compulsive disorder to make sure things are clean. People sure. would t- people would not tolerate that. You know, it well, it, it, w- it would be in a. It, go ahead. But then you look at the end. Of, you look at the other end of it, and imagine you're at you're at a Fourth of July party, and the the topic of autism comes up, and someone says, someone says, "Oh, my son is autistic," and you go, "Oh," and they say, "Yeah, he works at Microsoft," and you go, "Oh." It, well, you know no, what no, I no. Mean? I, I, I think what it, my point being obviously. Uh, if they're in the industry, they're applying for jobs, you, you don't discount them. Um, but I have an issue with the idea that they're being targeted. It just doesn't seem, doesn't sit well with me. It's just, well, and uh, that's, feels that's yucky. Asperger's is, is a weird, is a weird example of it because Asperger's has trouble dealing with, dealing with and having emotional responses. Um, you know, I had a friend in, in high school who had Asperger's, and he loved gaming, and we asked him about his favorite game, and he read he, he read off a review of the game from the back of the box. Mm. And we said, no, 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 what's your, what's your opinion on the game? And he said, that's the opinion on the game. He didn't, he didn't have a sense of self-opinion. Yeah. And, and so... How how is a person with no sense of self being taken advantage of in a in a situation where we'd all be glad to work for Microsoft making good money and and being respected for our knowledge? It it's I mean I don't that's the thing is I I posted this topic but I don't have a point I don't have a perspective on this besides huh like this is a really interesting thing to think about because this doesn't get discussed by developers a whole lot yeah i still get yucky feelings thinking about people get being targeted but i do too anytime somebody is targeted any any targeted marketing targeted advertising i feel yucky about but it's also gainful employment so yeah. i don't know how i feel <laughs> It depends on how they're being taken advantage of, I guess. If they're well compensated and okay with it. If they're being taken advantage of, like, hey, we're paying you for 40 hours a week, but hoping they're going to work 60 to 70. 
but that's all that's already the case with everyone in the games industry everyone in the games industry is salaried and abused or hourly and abused there's nobody who's who's coming out of the games industry except for owners and shareholders who isn't being taken advantage of in some way so one piece of this uh, post was talking about how certain people kind of view it as a superpower and how mm-hmm. it's constantly referenced in TVs and movies, which led us into one of our shows that Thomas, you and I watch and looking forward to season two on coming up. Yeah, starting next week. Mr. Robot. Yes. Season two. So you're a I'm, fan, I'm a fan. John, we, we got to get John on board on this one. We tried to get John on board last week. After the show ended, we realized we hadn't discussed Mr. Robot, and it was coming up and needed to be discussed, and John said, well, I've never, never seen it. I don't know what you're talking about. Still haven't seen it. Still don't know what we're talking about. Nope. It's, I've been on, it's only been on the topic list for a solid week. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the most realistic depictions of of hacking, of corporate programmer lifestyle. Very, very good show. I really recommend everyone go check it out. It's streaming all over the place. It's on my list to watch. I just didn't get to it before this episode. So we've been challenged, or we we've had a topic come up. This past week, or past couple weeks, actually, that is a very common issue in our industry, dealing with time zones. What a pain in the ass. Oh, man. What a pain. The The best way we've come up with managing it moving forward, we have the issue of we've inherited legacy systems, all handling time zones and timestamps differently within their various areas the one way we are now approaching the problem moving forward is standardizing on hey this is how we're going to store times or um, time stamps so whenever you go to do a fetch you always know this is your base which is essentially a Greenwich means time time stamp and then how you present that to the consumer there's a couple of ways that you can identify what time zone they're in. But that led this whole conversation about, you know, the best way to uh, detect a time zone a client's in, if it's a configuration issue, if it should be all detect- detected. In some cases, we need to do both. Um, a little bit of a conversation came around of if uh, company yeah, the company has a place in Los Angeles and a place in New York, and the, maybe the the home office is in New York, and they pull up to look at, um, you know, uh, uh, entries for LA. If they should see a timestamp that says it's a Pacific Coast time, or if it should be converted to their time zone. I mean, just a lot of uh, challenges around. There's a lot to think about. The biggest thing being, how is data stored? Which you brought up, storing everything as GMT makes the most sense anymore. And then we got into a very heated conversation over uh, 
the the de- detection of time zones. And my big thing was we we do our best to set a time zone for the user that we are currently displaying information to. And that's depending on the front end. Mobile, mobile developers are going to do it differently than web developers. And we do our best to detect it. We set it for the user, but they should have somewhere in their settings to change that. Yeah, if, if time is relevant to the, the information that's being provided, then they need to be setting their own time zone in one way or another. Um, you know, and an interesting note on this is that, did you know that in MySQL, your MySQL config holds its own time zone information, which is separate from the Unix time, time zone that is in the system that's running the MySQL server. I did hear that today, actually, and was kind of so, shocked by it. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. I mean, you would think that at this point the time zone thing would be figured out. The first thing you install an OS, it asks you what time zone you're in. Why is that not getting propagated to web browsers and then sent as a header for everything that's getting sent? Uh, have you have you had to deal with time zones in the past, Thomas? I'm just curious if Constantly. what solutions what solutions you've come up with. So my my solution has been that we we use Carbon for everything. Um, if you're not aware, Carbon is a PHP library for handling time and date in a just gigantic number of ways. Um, a lot of methods that chain, so you can say uh, carbon now plus two days, uh, two date string or two date time string or two UTC time string or anything like that. So we use that, um, but we also have, have the functionality of parse. Um, so when you say carbon parse, the first argument would be your time string, and the second argument is your time zone. So what we do is we make sure that we're always establishing the time zone that the string is coming from, and then when we output a string, we establish the time zone that the string is being output to. And then Carbon handles all of the details from within there. Um, so we, we just make sure that we're relying on Carbon as much as we can, and that we're always getting and setting uh, where appropriate. Yeah, I'm a fan of Carbon. I've I've done talks on Carbon in the past. So, uh, and I, I think one of the things we did, the biggest thing we did was differentiating um, data at rest as opposed to data that is meant to be displayed to the client. So, yeah, I think uh, our plan of attack right now is just to everything that's at rest, everything that's in the database. Get it in there, whatever it takes. Get it in there as Greenwich Means time. That's how that timestamp's going to live in the database. Then when we extract it out, we have a known time zone that that is stored at. If we need to convert it to another time zone, there's multiple ways of doing that. Carbon is a big one. There's JavaScript libraries that do similar functions as well. And there are JavaScript libraries that do this because JavaScript itself can barely fucking handle dates and times. I hate dates and times going back to actual php code i knew you could use the word or in your if statements if this or that i did not know that i always use pipes always have uh most of the time i've seen p 
people use the words or it was in legacy code that I've adopted that I would end up just changing it because I don't like seeing it. <laughs> and we have a new developer that came on and he started doing it. So I brought it up to the group. And of course, everyone agrees, use pipes or ampersands for and, you don't use the words. And Thomas pointed out why. And There's actually a reason behind that. Yeah. I knew there was a difference in order of operations when the word or is, is put in versus the pipes. But Thomas went a little deeper in the explanation, and I thought it was very interesting, and I thought I'd give him a chance to share that knowledge. Do share. Well, okay, so... We use double pipes, meaning or. Mm-hmm. And in PHP, uh, it, it translates to an operator in C. Um, however, the word or translates to the the comparator operator. So this would be the same or as XOR uh, or AND or XAND or any of those other bitwise operators. They function essentially the same. They're, they're comparing two variables, uh, variables. And because of this, you can sort of use them transparently. Um, PHP being a, a non-strictly typed language will try to type things so that they are comparable. Uh, the, the place where you have to be careful is that if you have a string being compared with the word or to an integer, it will actually recast your, your string to an integer and keep it recast as an integer. So when you use it later, it's now stuck. Hmm. Um, so it's not recommended to use the words or or and um, because what you're doing there is calling functionality that you don't necessarily understand or expect. I mean, when you're when you're using it in an if statement, you just want a comparative this or this to equal true. Uh, you don't want to do a real hard typing operation against the two of them. Yeah, but again, there's also the order of operations issue. And an example that I saw on php.net was a variable equals true or false. And it's going to take the first one no matter what. Just because of the, the way the, the the order of operations works. Right. And, you know, a common pattern in PHP is saying if variable equals method and then using the variable within the if statement, mm-hmm. uh, the word the word or can screw things up there. The word or can pass the variable on without having properly assigned uh, a value to it. Hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, it does it does screw with order of operations a lot. You know, definitely if you're if you're mixing the operator with the the terminology, the term, then you're going to make things a billion times worse. Yeah. It was just an interesting thing that came up this week that I would share. Is that our legacy code minute with John Congdon? Got to have one every week. <laughs> legacy code. So you you brought up asking who's going to be at your upcoming meetup. <laughs> well, we have 
the Laravel upcoming meetup too that I know Eric is going to miss. I know I'm going to miss it too. But Why is that? For different reasons. My mine reasons don't matter. Eric, why are you missing? <laughs> Just the non the non contribution you bring to the podcast really excites me. <laughs> so I will be uh, attending Laracon US uh, the end of this month. I'm looking forward to that. But some exciting news came about. Uh, so Laracon US is sold out. It's been sold out for a little while. I guess now they're offering. Um, a streaming ticket, so you can you can get. I, I don't know if it's a live stream or I think it's the same day um, of it the is, conference. It is both, actually. They're they're doing is something it? smart, as as has been proven by us in just this very podcast, which is that live streaming is difficult. <laughs> so oh yeah, it does say live stream and early access video. Yeah, so that's, yeah. So what they've done is they've they've acknowledged that live streaming sucks. And there is no guarantee that the live stream is going to work uh, when you purchase this this package from them. However, they will be making the the video data available after the stream as well, and your live streaming purchase gets you both of them. And you are given a guarantee that there's going to be video of the presentations, just not necessarily live streamed. In case there are technical difficulties, which well, that, I, don't, I don't blame them at all. That's, well, that and the fact that not everybody's—if you can't go to the conference, chances are you can't sit there for six hours a day and watch a live stream either. So, making, I went to the conference last year and I couldn't sit there for six hours a day. <laughs> yeah, you know they serve alcohol in hotel bars. Really? Did, did I found that out. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, that's kind of cool, I, th- I think. Uh, and the really cool thing about Laracon, I- I've said it before, and the reason why this live stream package is a good alternative is that it is a one-track conference, so there aren't multiple talks going on at the same time. So whatever is being broadcast on the live stream is the exact same talk that everybody there is at. There's no other other talk happening at the same time now during the laricon uh presentations 5.3 is going to be released at at the event um but there's also been a lot of rumor from taylor the developer of laravel that there are a couple one more thing type announcements to make at the conference so Uh, this is true yeah the uh Been, been some. I mean, he's not even really hinting to what they are. Just he's trying to get them wrapped up before the conference so that he has them. Yeah, and we'll remember that that last year Spark was the big one more thing that was officially announced at Laracon. Yeah. Uh, so it should be interesting to see what what comes out of it this year. Yeah. Yep. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Did you guys know that I'm doing a um presentation on security at the next SDPHP meetup. It did not. Did not. Nope. Are you just saying that for the podcast or do you for, really for, not care for, that much? For, 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 <laughs> 
I was, I was making sure you were going to that next uh, pillow post. Because really? you really? haven't moved it Just over. Haven't, haven't been looking. Why? What are you talking about? <laughs> Wait, you know security? Security's a thing. Yeah, you know, I, I gave a presentation uh, about a year and a half, about, yeah, about a year and a half ago, about security that was uh, unfortunately poorly attended for, God, a number of reasons. But this year, I've given it a catchy title. Okay, and, what's that? Uh, let's hack a website. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we're actually, I'm actually going to have uh, sample code on GitHub, and we're going to develop a, a poorly developed website and just hack the shit out of it. Well, that's fun. But you know what? what one of the biggest security holes with uh, with security. What? <laughs> <laughs> You know what one of the biggest security holes uh, on wait, hold sites on. Uh, are? Let's take a let's take a quick silent break real quick. Do you know so what, one of the, the one of the interesting security... topics that I'll be bringing up is uh Wait a minute. Oh, you're totally going to sneak this one from me. I was taking you there. You little bastard. <laughs> you were dancing me there. I like Go it. ahead. No, you can have it now. No, silence break. And go. Asshole! <laughs> Swear to God, I don't like working with you. Okay, John, you you you're like five percent of this podcast. Why don't you, why don't you walk us into this next topic? Five percent? I, th- I think you started, don't is, talk. Is it that you high? Really don't. You're, you're like Silent Bob of of the group. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> One of the big security issues. I did the issues. whole last topic. I've done two topics today. Come on now. This is fun. I'm going to bed. Have, I'm tired. We, were, we record such too good late. Progress going. We record Hold too on. late and too long. Mark it. It's been forty minutes. John is going to bed. <laughs> John hasn't had anything to drink tonight. Yeah. Is that out of sympathy for your wife? That's, Are you not allowed to drink now? Uh, self-imposed. Oh she has nothing to do with it. You guys need mm. to focus. So, what are the biggest? I don't want to be. I don't want to have had drinks and then go to a hospital at three in the morning because that would suck. That would be way better than being sober at a hospital. Nah. Anyway, good. Thomas, I think you've talked in the past about mail trap, right? Pretty sure you've talked I, I about I don't know it. if I brought it up here, but it's something that I use frequently, and it's a great service that I don't pay for. Right. And probably should, because they have collaborative versions and stuff like that. Um, right. So it, it, basically what that does is it gives you an endpoint to to send your email to, and it just captures it. It doesn't forward it on, because they're not real emails. They're not going to real addresses. You just want to capture it and... Uh, make sure that it went out. There's well, and you want to see the rendered content. That's the most important part. Is that with with any development I've done with email, there's the HTML body and the text body. There's rendered content that you have to view in one email client versus another. Um, it's one of those things that's almost completely impossible to test. Uh, and MailTrap allows you to capture email outbound to any address. Um, with a simple configuration toggle, it saves a huge, huge headache. Right. So that that's a service that's out there. It takes a little configuring to get set up. 
and there's a free tier, and of course there's paid tier. Um, but now there's also a, a package that's been released uh, by the guys over at Titan um, called Mill Thief that essentially does the same thing. It just keeps everything local on, on your box. So the, the email actually never even leaves your box, which uh, might be helpful, especially if if you're doing development where you don't have connectivity to the Internet. That That's probably a, a real benefit. But does it actually give you an interface so you can go back and look at the, the mail, it, or is it just... Yeah, it doesn't give you an interface, but it does log it, so you can go look at the log. Uh, it, 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 it captures the email as it would have went out, so you, you're able to pull it up. There's just no pretty interface to it. And I haven't used it, That's but... Titan as in Kegels, not Titan as in Goliath. Yes, that is that is one hundred percent correct. Fun fact: one of the one Your of the names, are tight. one of the names we were going to go with as a com- company name was Titan. I wanted to. I was looking to name us Titan, uh, as in you know T I T A N, but that's as you would suspect a very common name and very tough to get any uh, domains Titan domains. So. We we could buy the Titan top level domain. Is there a Titan top level domain? No, you, you can buy any top level domain. You just got got to have a lot a of couple million. Money. Yeah, no, I'm okay. Thanks. No, he's got a good point though. No, he doesn't. If you really want to commit to it, a couple million dollars says a lot. It's not a couple million, is it? It's pretty expensive. I thought it was a hundred grand, but yeah. So I've been sharing with you guys my uh, Vue.js adventures, right? Have you been keeping it up like you said you were going to? I've wavered a little bit this past week um, just because I've had other issues. Uh, I did. We, we, we haven't talked about it. I launched a PHP Ugly website finally. And uh, that was going to be my little playground for Vue.js. But when all was said and done, I, I didn't have any good ideas good ideas to use Vue.js, so I, I didn't didn't implement it yet. I, I still have a couple things I might do. I might I might use it to grab our Twitter stream and post it in there. I don't know yet. But Vue.js is coming out with a new version. Um, I suspect it's going to be coming out here in the next month or two of its you know, version 2. So I this guess, is a major revision. This isn't just a small update. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... Um, it's it's mainly adding features. It, it there's it is deprecating a couple of features. One of the one of the things it's deprecating is a feature that it had called sync. And uh, it's funny because I just started doing some research on this and trying to think about where where I could use it. And essentially, what sync did is um, if the status if the state of something changed in a child node, uh, you could sync that. So it would bubble back up to its parent node. So there, there's this idea of you know parent and children node nodes, and typically the way JavaScript works is uh, if state changes, it only goes downstream. It doesn't bubble back up. And sync gave you this ability to bubble change state back up to the parent node. I, I guess when all was said and done, there just became they just felt like you could get your application in a weird state and uh, 
so they're essentially deprecating sync moving forward. I, I don't know if they're deprecating it or if they're completely removing it in version two, but that's one of the things that it's targeted to kind of go away. Um, I do know one of the things that they're adding to uh, Vue.js uh, version two is the virtual DOM. Um, and I know, John, you've got some experience working with DOMs, right? Do you understand what a benefit of a virtual DOM is? Not a clue, but I'm interested to read about it. Yeah, so just a little reading I've done on it. I, I guess it makes it quicker than uh, interacting with the actual DOM. So what what you do is you interact with a virtual DOM, and then it just does a diff against the real DOM. And for some reason, that is quicker than trying to manipulate the actual DOM. Well, I think when you're manipulating the actual DOM, is the browser then has to worry about re-rendering the page or making changes there. So, like you said, this just makes it quicker. Yeah. When, so you, that- when you're doing one-off things, it's not a big deal. But people don't realize if you start changing, you know, 10, 15 elements on the page... It's the browser's usually trying to keep up with that real quick. Mm-hmm. Where this would be in the virtual DOM, I guess when you're done with that, it would make all those changes at once to the to the DOM and then one update. Yeah, I know with jQuery, they are often recommended doing things on an element that's not in the DOM yet. So you would do everything in JavaScript first. And then affect the DOM just one time. So it sounds like it's similar to that, but makes it easier on the developer to, to manage it. Sounds exactly correct, yeah. I noticed the, the other thing, I, I noticed this when I was doing my uh, single page app. And it's funny, I actually also noticed this when I go to Laracast. So Jeffrey Way is a big supporter of UJS. Clearly, he uses it on Laracast. And you can hit certain pages in Laracast, and if you have a quick enough eye, you'll see the mustache curly brackets um, in certain places of the page. And the, these are the um, Vue.js kind of uh, um, markers where, where things, things Vue.js is going to populate that area. Uh, so you'll see this big, you know, this little mustache uh, curly bracket, double curly bracket come up and maybe say something like profile. And then all of a sudden the profile would, would populate that area of the, of the page. Um, in version 2, it's going to have a server-side rendering, which should do away with that that quick flash of the double curly brackets uh, when a page loads. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I'm not sure if that's going to add load to the site or not, but uh, should be it should be helpful. It, I think it's more of a user interface thing, just to look nicer for the end user. It really does have a, a functional purpose, but hmm. that'll be interesting to to try. Are you going to make the podcast after the emergence? No. This might be my last one ever. Well, Eric and I have been talking about that, actually. That's fun. Let's <laughs> just say the word. <laughs> are we talk- Are we done talking about stuff? Did well, okay. We- I-, I interrupted your Vue.js thing. No, you didn't. We were wrapping up. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty much done with it. 
<laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one more thing out there. Okay, I think we might have been doing something wrong for a very long time. And I podcast, agree wholeheartedly. The more I look look into this, the more I'm getting sold on Postgres. Okay, now I disagree. Do you disagree? Yeah, Postgres is. I it's what I only dislike Postgres because somebody else keeps pushing it so hard. I'm the same way about Fox Pro. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, awesome. By the way, all this stuff we're talking about, you have live on air. That's right. That whole break where we were talking about, you know, who, as he went to get a beer. Uh, Thomas, he's, he's, he's going to go back and rewatch this and be able to see it. No, no, he won't. Okay, no, no everyone knows that that's not true. <laughs> so Postgres, the the one thing that I've always shied away from Postgres. We've talked about this in the past. Are clients? Uh, there, there are no good clients, and I, you know, I need a client to interact with the database. I'm just not that good at the raw commands to interact with the database. Um, I've always shied away from Postgres. And, and I never really understood the differences between Postgres and MySQL. And we have a, we've had a project recently where we were asked to use Postgres. So I started looking more into it. We're using Postgres. I've stumbled on a couple things. Now for one of our meetups, our upcoming meetup, or not our upcoming meetup, but um, August's meetup, we have somebody who's going to come in and do a talk on Postgres. So I, I looked into it some more. And I'm really starting to feel like I'm we're missing the boat with Postgres. Um, Postgres is kind of forces you to do certain things correctly that MySQL is a little bit more forgiving on. And you know, I, I think so. It's the opposite of PHP. <clears throat> exactly. Yes, I, I think we've kind of fallen into the the same uh, kind of structure of where. Poor coders fall into. You know, they 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 use the path of least resistance, the easiest thing to do. They that gets the job done. Whether it's right or wrong, it, it gets the job done. I feel like I've become that person with databases. I, I've definitely have gone down the path of least resistance, and I'm I'm at a point where I'm starting to reevaluate that, and I'm getting very close to going full in on Postgres. Uh, I'll see what this, uh, how the presentation goes on Postgres. I'm still doing some research on it, but I, I think we're doing things wrong when, when we're using MySQL as heavily as we're using MySQL. Here's a question: You're you're a huge proponent of Vim. Yes, this is this is true. That is one of the reasons I don't use Vim. That's hurtful. That is so hurtful. You know, everyone I know who's into Postgres is super into Postgres. This is way better. Everything's calculated better. Everything's so the, indexed the one better. Thing I used to notice about Postgres is if you're a database person, you're into Postgres. If you're a developer, you're into MySQL. And that always kind of raised the antenna to me. It's like, okay, why are the people who are really into databases into Postgres? And I, I had always kind of... Uh, brushed it off as well. Postgres is more Oracle-like, and so which is funny because Oracle owns MySQL, but this was before Oracle owned MySQL. And you know, my justification was Postgres is more Oracle-like. These are database people who 
ultimately have the goal to work in an Oracle environment. So Postgres is acid compliant, all this other stuff. So is my uh, SQL. Well, not I mean not by default it isn't, is it? I, no, I think you by, have not, you have to do some it is now. It is now. Yeah. It wasn't. So I don't know. I I'm starting to I'm starting to buy into this whole Postgres thing. I'm I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. I I, under, I understand that. Let, let me ask you this: Do you have a good justification for me not to use Postgres? Uh, yes. Describe a table. Are you asking me that? Or are you are you are you doing some weird? No, it just command? my my experience with Postgres is that in their attempt to be a more improved database engine, they have completely left helpful functionality on the floor. Such as? Such as describing a table. Describe the, a table. The, yeah, describe table, semicolon Same. enter, gives you the table's description, how it was created. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I found out through no small amount of effort that in Postgres this is slash G table name. Mm-hmm. Um, the documentation, but, but I mean that's just that's just understanding the difference, right? I mean, sure, but there's there is a trade-off of simplicity in use versus performance, and if the performance, well, and I, I actually think I actually think performance size with my understanding of it is performance size with MySQL. Right, performance side. Well, the no, performance on indexes sides with Postgres. But really? ease of use sides with MySQL, mm-hmm. and and that's where it, it's how much money does it cost you to develop? But again, and maintain. Your, your 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 justification is it's easier to use, which is not always a good approach. No, no, it's not always. But you have to you have to evaluate the balance between is it easy to use and is it cheap to run. Uh, how many queries are you running? How hard is it to deal with as a database engine? You know, we, we could use, theoretically, the most complex, high-performance database engine possible on any of the projects that we work on. It's just that the value in having an employee who can understand and manipulate those but see, is I, not I, there. But, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's that big of a discrepancy. I mean, you're 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 making the you're, you're equating it to almost an oracle solution where there's just such a huge. I jump absolutely between, am. Yeah, so I don't think there's that big of a jump from MySQL to Postgres. I think that that gap is a lot lot smaller. And and do you to, know what to, Galera is? No. Galera is a multi-mastered replication schema managed by. Uh, the the group that created the MySQL spinoff, uh, MariaDB. No, no, no. MariaDB is literally a MySQL. Percona. 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 Yeah, per- Percona has released a massive library of free tools for managing MySQL, uh, man- managing and whole infrastructure control. Uh, a set of tools that simply doesn't exist for other yeah, databases, but, but or again, at least not at the price point. So, so if you want to have that argument, we could go down the path of their features that we haven't been using 
because they weren't available in MySQL. I mean, MySQL just now is is developing a JSON data type, which isn't very good, isn't a very good implementation. You're hoping that it matures and gets better. And it's not useful, though. But Postgres has this already. But, it, but it, how it is has it useful? It. But it's still not useful. I, yeah, why, is, I, why is it not useful? How because we, I mean, it's, are, are, it's running NoSQL in a MySQL column. I don't know. I, th- I think it's. I, I would. I would tend to disagree with you, but I don't. I don't. I haven't used it to 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 know for sure. Well, you we know, had a another, another example. We just we just had a conversation about time zones, and uh, Postgres has the ability to, uh, has the ability to store the time zone that a timestamp is saved as. So does which MySQL. Is, no, it doesn't. Oh yes, it does. How how does MySQL store the time zone that a timestamp is saved as? A UTF compatible column. I I was not aware of that. So, okay, well, perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps I'm going down the wrong path here, but I... No, You're not the, going... Okay, no, no further further knowledge is never the wrong path. Knowing why one thing is better than the other is never the wrong path. Uh, that's how you become an expert, is by knowing the differences between A and B. Mm-hmm. But, but I can say that evaluating the the uh, determining the value difference between mysql percona uh, postgres oracle is the expertise mysql or nosql or uh, uh, tiny sql mini sql whatever the built-in one that's in php now no sql no no there's a, there's a built-in mysql database in php now oh i don't know um Knowing SQLite? the difference, you're talking about SQLite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. SQLite, yeah. which is a flat file-based storage system with simple indexing and whatever. Knowing the value differences between them is what makes you a leader in the consulting area. Saying, "Don't use, don't use that. Use this." Well, why? Well, because I've been doing this for 20 years. I know the difference. But then, then, so so, if I came to you a year from now and told you to use Postgres, you you would you would take me more at my word. No. But then I would be I would also be a year more experienced, and still more experienced than you. Oh man! <laughs> what a dick! <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm somewhere on the spectrum. Well, I think this is a good spot to wrap things up. I think this is another good uh, good episode. All right, guys. Uh, as always, it's been a podcast. I'm Tom Rideout. I may not be here, John Congdon. I'm Eric Van Johnson. Keep it ugly. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host, Tom Rideout, on Twitter at Real Rideout. John Congdon on Twitter at John Congdon and myself, Eric Van Johnson on Twitter at Shokum. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M. Notes and links from this episode can be found on GitHub at github.com forward slash phpugly forward slash podcasts.